From West to East and Kingdom to Kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 196 of the Diz Unplugged, Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm just thinking about our conversation, our pre-production meeting and and all that. And I, I'm just amazed you're not in a full body cast. But otherwise, <laughs> I'm glad you're doing well. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> but um, as, of, as we've mentioned in a couple of our other episodes, we are pre-recording to take, to take you backstage. We're pre-recording because of travel in September with special occasions coming up and all that. And so for me, I'm doing well because for the first time in a couple of weeks, I was able to take my afternoon walk because our air quality has been so bad due to the fires that are not terribly far from here. So that was nice. But then during my walk, the wind shifted and now our air quality is bad again. So <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. I could see the wind coming. It was like in Mary Poppins where <laughs> you know, it just suddenly I just saw it come up through the trees and just come right at me and all that. It was really, you you know how you could see it from a distance coming. Yeah. And all that it was it was very interesting experience. And we and our town went on um mandatory 20% water rationing this week. Which is so I'm trying to figure out how to save water because I don't use a lot anyway. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's I mean <laughs> that's the hard part when you're already self conscious about how much water you're using, so you can keep your water bill down. What do you what do you start doing? Yeah. You say, you know what, I don't need to wash my clothes this week. Next week will be fine. Yeah, well, I do already laundry every two weeks, but now what I'm doing is it's the what the military showers where you turn on the water then you turn it off soap up turn it on rinse off so that's, that's what i'm doing that's uh, michael you deserve a gold star just for that <laughs> so anyway well i had the bathrooms remodeled and the new um the new nozzles have a button that allows me to do that really easily so anyway, so I'm looking forward to all my trips out to Walt Disney World because the air will be a lot easier to breathe and I can take a shower every day because I'm also not, you know, I'm now skipping days showering and all that too. So, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> so, the best part of vacation yeah. is you don't have to pay any of those utilities. So air conditioner gets cranked all the way down mm-hmm. as cold as it can possibly get. <laughs> And then you take the longest, hottest showers yes, possible. I, I am doing that. I'm so looking forward to doing that. And then I'm washing all my clothes because I'll be in a DVC villa before I'm coming home. <laughs> so anyway. Oh, well. But I'm looking forward to my time out at Walt Disney World. So, yeah. well, 
Several times a year, we invite members of our Connecting with Walt family to become a part of the show by submitting questions for me and Craig to answer. Now, in our last episode, we answered several of your questions about Disney theme parks and resorts. And in this episode, we'll answer more questions about Walt Disney's family, um, the Walt Disney Company, Imagineering, Disney Films, and more. So, Craig, I think in our last episode, I chose the question to take us out of the gate. So this week, it is your turn to start us off. Okay. I am going to start with probably not a simple one, but uh, relatively simple as far as it all goes. But uh, Matthew asked, who among the extended Disney family works at the company? I believe he means currently. But mm-hmm. I could be saying that. So I, I guess, yeah, are there any extended Disney family members currently working for the Walt Disney Company? No, no, none at all. After um, Roy E. Disney passed, there was a rumor going around for a little while that supposedly one of the nieces or nephews of um, Roy Disney was going to... Um, take a role on the board uh, it was ne- the person was never named but that rolled around for a little while but um you know and supposedly that was part of the agreement when he retired was the rumor that someone else was going to step up but nobody has now there are some disney family members that are very vocal in how they feel the company is running but no nobody has um there's nobody in the Disney family any longer with an active role in the company. Yeah. Who knows? Probably someone out there is a distant, distant cousin and they happen to work somewhere in the company or at one of the parks. But yeah, maybe yeah. third, third cousin twice removed. However, all that exactly. works. Yeah. <laughs> now, now of course, um, Walt and Lillian's family, are, I'm sorry, yeah, are very active in the Walt Disney family foundation. You know, some of their children and grandchildren. But that's as far as it goes, just carrying on Walt and Roy's legacy. But um, otherwise, you know, that's about it. Oh, my turn. Uh, let's okay. see. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to. The rest of those, you know, the rest of those in that category, you'll probably ask me. At some oh, point. Yeah, no. <laughs> so I have a lot of stuff to ask you. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, actually, with this whole back half of it, there's a lot of questions that re- required uh, the, the touch of the historian yeah. on it. But, I mean, that's the whole point of this anyway. So Yeah, there's a lot of fun ones, though, that for both of us. Like, okay, I'm, I'm skipping down to the um, Imagineering category, and, and we'll move back and forth between categories. Yeah. But Amelia asked, uh, <laughs> well, she has an all caps, Fantasy Imagineering. So it says, Disney has come, and, and I'm terrible at these kinds of questions. Um, Craig, you're much better at these. Disney has come to you two and asked you each to select an IP that is underrepresented in the parks and design an attraction around that IP. Which IP do you select? What is the attraction like? This is where I get bad. And in which park does it appear? So, Craig, what about you? Yeah, that's a uh, that's that's a tough question because you know it feels like also IP in the parks 
comes in waves and you know sometimes the waves take a long time to travel and well, other times we're being hit with a tidal wave right now like yeah <laughs> yeah and that's uh you know that's that's kind of it it is the direction of the company but even with the ips they're throwing at us now uh it feels like a lot of them are just the same over and over and over again and you know uh, i'm really excited as of the time that this is uh well right before this is uh i, I don't i'm sorry i'm getting stuck in the timeline of when we're recording this versus when it's released but uh, essentially what i'm trying to say <laughs> is that disney enchantment the new fireworks show is pulling all of these even more crazy uh, new intellectual properties like featuring the disney pixar movie onward Mm -hmm. in it which nothing against onward i really enjoyed that movie especially like at the start of the pandemic when it was nice to be able to sit at home and watch it without the theater experience like yeah it made everything kind of better Mm -hmm. in the time but to be thrust into a show that's the 50th anniversary fireworks show like that's that's a little bit more yeah. questionable same thing so, with soul and luca films i also liked but i don't know what their connection to the parks is yes and then they uh, ignore sure. cinderella and they ignore as far as i can tell and they ignore snow white and some of the earlier ips that actually have a connection to the yeah. park exactly so uh, without skirting too much further with this, uh, the point that I was trying to make with it is that it feels like right now the thrust of intellectual properties is finally getting these newer movies that have just come out, trying to get them in the parks, even if it's as part of a show uh, or meet and greets, whatever, try to get them in just a little bit faster than they did previously. But uh, for me, I I like the weirder intellectual properties that Disney has that just don't really uh, get a lot of love. And I'm going to reuse one of my answers uh, that I, I've said before on other armchair Imagineering shows that we've done. But uh, I think it's a dang shame that that Walt Disney World or Disneyland has never done anything with the National Treasure uh, series. And granted, there's only two movies and, you know, a third one is is, is in our future. It There should be more. Uh, they're wildly entertaining. But like specifically, uh, they could find a way to totally utilize Liberty Square and even parts of Frontierland with with National Treasure, the hmm. gem of a Nicolas Cage movie that it is like even if it was just a scavenger hunt taking you around to, you know, to solve different clues and, oh, and unravel a mystery like, oh, like it's similar just, to sorcerers of the magic kingdom yeah similar to oh. that um just okay that like, i could to, get into yeah as long yeah, as it's, it's not fozzy bear leading us around no it's i mean if, if fozzy popped up somewhere <laughs> along the way in no. it, it's it would not be authentic to the movie yes. but uh either of the movies maybe maybe in the third one who knows but i just feel like that's in terms of of what like at Walt Disney World and Magic Kingdom of what they have there. I, I can't think of a more perfect a more perfect intellectual property to be to be plopped 
in that space and in a way like a scavenger hunt or a game. I know that's not everyone's uh, favorite thing to do in parks. I, I get that. But, you know, sometimes you find that IP that just would really work. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's we're now 15 years, I think, since the last movie came out. So, yeah, it doesn't hold that. uh that high gusto of a uh, uh, Moana or uh, another recent Disney hit, but I, I still love it. And if we're talking about animated movies, I would love to see a Robin Hood dark ride somewhere in Fantasyland, especially in in part of the like like right around filler magic and Small World, where there's still a little bit more of the medieval. Fantasyland tent style uh, to that area, like why, why, why not have Robin Hood? That would fit in there too. I don't know where you'd put it, but what would that? I, I'd like what it. would that look like though? Because you know, because we have to be transported to a a place. That's always one of the things, a world or something. So, would you see it more of a recreation of the film, or sort of a another adventure with the same characters, or what? I would see it as a recreation, uh, not actually, not very unsimilar to <laughs> killing myself with these double negatives here. I, I could see it very similar to uh, how the Little Mermaid dark ride attraction okay. is, where that starts off with Scuttle, you know, that it bookends with Scuttle saying, I'm going to tell you the tale. Like with Robin Hood, Can you have Alan the, of uh, Dale. Mm hmm. Yeah, you have the you have the perfect uh, narrator to start and finish the story. So, yeah, then you just have to fill in what's in the middle. And granted, it's not super exciting, but I don't know something about that area of Fantasyland. I always felt like, oh, this is this has this Robin Hood esque vibes to it. So, yeah, I, I, I could be okay with that. Yeah, that it's funny because you're the same generation as my children and my son that was one of his favorite if not his favorite disney film he was always watching that and that is one of my least favorites and uh and i don't know why i think the characters creep me out the anthropomorphic animals were just a little too human like and i think that <laughs> creeped me out a bit so um i don't know i'm i'm I have to, I've been watching the animated films in order. And as of this recording, I just watched the jungle book this weekend past. So Aristocats is up next. So, and I see Robin Hood is looming and I'm dreading it, but I enjoyed jungle book more than I recall enjoying it previously. So I thought maybe I'll enjoy Robin Hood more. So, yeah, that's, I mean, jungle books, another, a uh, good one that you know it's animal kingdom has tried to dabble with jungle book in the past and never really connected on it with the a home run but i i would like to see them keep trying with yeah, jungle book well maybe they'll make some kites for it <laughs> <laughs> not the kites i'm worried i'm not going to see it when i'm there for the 50th cuz i think um i've planned epcot for my final two days october no, I've uh, on my October second and third. I find Epcot, and I thought, yeah, I need to change one of those to um, Animal Kingdom so I can see the kite show. Depends if I get on the Ratatouille attraction or not. Yeah. So, anyway, I I love Animal Kingdom anyway. So of course, but I saw the I saw the little I think 
Last couple of days, they they released Disney Parks blog, released their little video of the kites. And I thought, you know, based on what you're showing us, you're really a little too excited about this. <laughs> oh, yes. No, this, they are literally setting themselves up for disappointment. And I hope I'm eating my words. Me too. Later I, on with this. I want but. it to work. I want them to find something that works in that beautiful amphitheater they created. So, um, it's too bad they can't find something at night to keep, you know, people in the park. But, um, anyway. Yeah. For, but that's, that's another question somebody can send in the next time we do this. Uh, but for me, I, I, what I would like, and, and they've, they said they were going to do this, although I didn't like their idea. Due to its historical significance, I would like, because of what it meant for the parks, um, because this film was so financially successful, I would like to see an attraction on Mary Poppins. And, and I would be okay if they even mess, you know, did a mashup of the original film the superior film with Mary Poppins returns, which a film that I enjoyed it. I I wasn't as down on it as other people were. And maybe even bring in the Broadway show, the Broadway version, some elements of that, like, uh, you know, like, um, you know, how the, instead of the chalk drawings, they had the, which they more accurately from the books, they had the um, statues in the park come to life. And that is a chapter in the book, yeah. in one of the books. I would like to see something like that rather than a carousel, because mm-hmm. we have enough carousel-like attractions ar- around the world. So I would like to see an audio animatronic with maybe projections for some of the effects too. Um, you know, attraction that does justice to all the versions of this film. Because if this film flopped, you know, we would maybe audio animatronics, the funds wouldn't have been there to develop them as quickly as Walt and his Imagineers were able to do. And um, so I would really like to see that. And yeah, I think I would want it to be, and you know what, maybe even it takes um, uh, some elements that didn't make it into the script that that they had wanted for the books and maybe you know that that and and maybe she'll throw in a couple of surprises from the books for us in in this and some of the vignettes that they show and have us travel from um you know cherry tree lane through through a mary poppins adventure and what i'm trying to figure out though is what would the um ride vehicle be what would be a Mary Poppins ride vehicle in this? You know, it'd be lovely if you could be bouncing on a, um, you know, a carousel horse or something. Yeah. But, I mean, it could also, don't they, I'm trying to think of the, the bowl from the, the new Mary Poppins Returns. Like, you could always do, like, bowl-shaped cars or something. Oh, they they line. had the carriage. Remember? They did have the carriage. When that's, they went right. into that's the right. bowl. Yeah. That could be one. And I need to rewatch that. <laughs> it's it's actually I think it's underrated. I really do. And I, I mean it's too bad that they had to make Michael Banks out to be such a loser. But that seems to be a trend sometimes with male characters in films. But they also needed a crisis of some sort for Mary to, you know, resolve. 
And so that's fine. But it could be something like that where you go into carriage, but make it a trackless attraction so that as you go through these different adventures from the films, maybe the Broadway show, maybe one from the book that's a surprise or two that, um, that we, uh, that, you know, we do, um, it can be a little different every time because you're moving in. I like Ratatouille. Yeah. You know, or, um, the, the Pooh's Honey Hunt in Tokyo so that it's slightly different. You know, maybe there's a, or, or even like Mystic Manor where it depends over in Hong Kong, where it sort of depends which car vehicle you're in depends on what position. They even have a couple of times where you're in a different area of a, of a room so that you see something different than some of the other vehicles do because they're in a different area of the room. It could be something like that. So you see a slightly different angle of the adventure or you, or you see just something just totally different that's going on, even though you're in the same space. So they could do a lot because there's so much in these Mary Poppins films and the book and the Broadway show. And then, of course, it would be a happy ending. It has to be either the balloon scene or the fly a kite scene, or maybe it could be both, depending upon, you know, what your vehicle chooses. Oh, yeah. That's what I was thinking, like, Horizons with that, uh, <laughs> that in a way, like, maybe maybe you, you have different options for how you end your journey. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think they need a grand attraction to do these films justice. So anyway, so that's my, I think that's the best armchair Imagineering I've ever done. I I like, (laughs) I like your ideas. I like them. Yeah. So anyway, okay. Well, thank you. That was fun. Usually I dread these kind of questions, but that ended up being a good one. I I agree with you. That was a really good one. So, okay. I'm going to bounce back up into the, uh, the Walt Disney and the Disney family Mm -hmm. category. And, I am going to choose this question from uh, from Lori saying, if Walt had not been so tenacious in pursuing his animation dreams, what was his plan B for a career? It seems like anything he would have done, he would have given 110% to. So maybe he would have been revolutionary in some other field. Well, Lori, that's a great question because, you know, the funny thing is, it's almost like animation was his plan B. Well, he wanted to be an artist, and then he he sort of fell into, um, you know, a cartoonist. He wanted to be that, and he mm-hmm. did that for a while. Then he got into animation, but he felt there was no future in it. So when he, when his animation studio went, you know, bankrupt in Kansas City, he um, headed out to, you know, we all know the story with, you know, $40 in a dream in his suitcase. He went out to, uh, you know, Hollywood. It wasn't to become an animator. It was, although he did bring his reel of the unfinished um, Alice comedy with him, it was to become a director. And because he, he felt there was no, there was no future in animation. It had all been done. And so he, and that it was maybe sort of like, you know, sort of winding down. And so he went out there and he stalked um, the studios because then it was a little easier to get on the back lot. And Walt also sort of talked his way into it. And he, uh, he would watch 
how the films were being made and learned from that and really tried to talk his way into getting hired on to be, to work on the films. And he couldn't get anywhere. And then that's when he fell back into animation. And then, and then when he got into live action, again, out of necessity, when he, because of the war, and we get into this a little later on when we enter, we have an interview with Dave Bossert, Dave Bossert's returning um, to the show to talk about the book that we had him on to talk about a while back about um, Claude Coates. And we get a little into this where, you know, he, he got into live action mainly because, well, no, no, I'm sorry. It was, well, we do talk about it there. We're going to talk about someone from the Walt Disney Family Museum about Walt Disney Studios in World War II. And because of World War II, Walt had a lot of funds tied up in England. And England, in order to, for their economic recovery, said money in England has to be spent in England. So Walt... um that's how Walt got into live action in England. They made Treasure Island and, you know, and those films, you know, uh, and, you know, all those British films that we know of, um, the, uh, Robin Hood and, and a number of others that he made. But that put the director's bug into him again. And so, um, and his fascination with live action. And he sort of lost his interest in animation for a bit. He wasn't as involved in that, got involved in live action until his idea for Disneyland started to sprout. And then that's where his focus came. So it's funny how Walt just had all these different ideas. He had lots of plans for um, what he wanted to do, and he just kept moving forward. And then, as we know, he he got into urban planning. And that's when you know, the environmental prototype community of tomorrow started to become his focus in the latter part of his life. And um, so Walt had many plans and was, yeah. and had he lived, wouldn't surprise me if he was successful in urban planning too, since he was successful in everything else. Completely agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh it feels it feels almost an insult to be like, yeah, Walt did animation. That's that was his career. It's just so much so much more complex than that. Oh, uh, absolutely! A man who had his hand in so many things. You know, it's and not being not being afraid to push you know things to the side when it wasn't the right time to work on something else too. That's mm-hmm. uh that's that's bold leadership that he yeah. was usually very lucky with. Yeah, he knew when to shelve something, when to resurrect it, when to just leave it alone forever. So that's how you always hear when you hear stories of like uh, the um, Beauty and the Beast. And then you hear, well, they were working on that in 1938 or whenever it was. But Walt felt they couldn't get a handle on the story. And so they dropped it. Well, they picked it up and dropped it a few times. But Walt wasn't happy with the story. And remember, what Walt wanted to be remembered for wasn't that he wanted to be remembered as an animator or a studio mogul. He wanted to be remembered as a storyteller. Above everything else, that's how he wanted to be remembered. I feel like there's, for the people out there who understand storytelling uh, in in not just movies and 
and books and such, but also like through the theme parks as well. I, th- I think I think everyone would remember remember him as a storyteller in that way if you you understand how the story is told in different mediums. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's the important thing to remember. He did use various mediums to tell his story. So. Yep. Okay, very good. All right. Let's see what else. I'm going to skip down, because <laughs> this is one you'll like. I'm going to skip down to the films, Disney Plus, and Walt Disney Studios category. Um, and this is from Spencer. Uh, was there an episode you were most looking forward to when The Muppet Show was released on Disney Plus? Meaning, was there a celebrity appearance you were most looking forward to watching, Craig? Yeah, I will give you my top three that I I actually watched before anything else mm-hmm. uh, when when the Muppet Show was added to to Disney Plus, and I I had the DVD sets that they had released, and you know, granted there was portions missing in those all the episodes there, but you know, not uh, sometimes content was cut from it. And, but I, you know, I, I had watched the first three seasons over and over and over again. So I wasn't one of the people who wanted to go and start right from the very beginning and watch, watch through because I, I'm just so used to it. But that's where season four and five uh, got a lot more interesting with me. And, uh, season four in particular, there was three stars that I was super, super excited to watch the first one was john denver and <laughs> uh, that was one of the first ones i watched too yeah yep it was the very first one that i i watched as soon as i i had it on my disney plus and and it was in front of me i i went straight to that one i i grew up listening to john denver very frequently uh, one of my dad's favorite favorite uh, musicians and you know we grew up listening at christmas mm-hmm. time we grew up listening to uh, john denver and the muppets and you know watching watching taped versions of the specials that he had done with the muppets mm-hmm. uh, from around christmas time as well too so uh, this like had to be my first stop and uh it's i if you haven't got, watched it yet uh, for the people out there i know you have but I, I recommend it so much. He's one of the performers and entertainers that he he understands how to talk to the Muppets, yes. like they are just normal things. Absolutely, John John Denver was as Muppety as anyone got on that show. Yeah, of all the guests, that was the thing that struck me about him. He was Muppet like in many ways, and I'm saying that in a positive way. Oh yeah, and and how he related and acted with them, um, because you can. T- I felt with some of the performers it, when I watched them when I was young, and then when, um, you know, and as I've been rewatching the show off and on, some of the performers seemed annoyed. <laughs> yeah, and others, John Denver just just went with the flow and looked like he was having a good time. And you couldn't say that about all the guests. Yep. Oh, especially in the first season when people still didn't quite understand what the tone of the show was and in, you know, just overall, like how to, how to act next to, to Muppets. It, 
I, I totally understand why, but uh, there are there are specific performers that I feel like are just are natural with it. And I feel like it's because they also have goofier personalities, um, like in the, the early seasons, like Vincent Price has an episode yes. and I feel like, <laughs> I feel like he also gets how to talk to the Muppets. But mm-hmm. I mean, when your career is making, you know, going from good horror movies to B C beyond list. Oh, Billy the kid like, meets Dracula or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you start to like realize like you can't take yourself seriously uh-huh. all the time. Uh, life's life's too short for that. So uh, John Denver was my number one. And then my number two, also the same one in season four, uh, I was really excited to see the the Star Wars episode because that's one that I had seen clips of, but never the full episode. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think I have to explain any more about me and Star Wars. We already know all mm-hmm. of that. So uh, it would it would just be it would just be repeating information at that time. And then technically i'm gonna cop out my my tie for three and four uh was uh andy williams and roger moore and uh both for very confusing reasons um roger moore was my favorite bond when i was growing up because uh that's that's the movies that were still you know fresher before before pierce brosnan came along really with with Goldeneye and beyond there, I I grew up watching a lot of Roger Moore's uh, Bond movies, mm-hmm. and I liked him better than Sean Connery for the longest time. He was so. really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I've changed uh, my mind since then, but I I like Roger Moore a lot. And then Andy Williams, I think it's just growing up listening to his Christmas albums, and then. There's this one throwaway joke in an episode of The Simpsons where they're traveling through, I think, Branson, Missouri, and Andy Williams is performing, and the bully on the show, Nelson, makes them all stop and pull over to the side of the road so they can sit and watch Andy Williams perform. <laughs> and he's, like, crying. He is so happy with it. So I've, I've always held an affection for Andy Williams because of that. <laughs> Yeah. Now, I I had not seen The Muppets Show since it was first in syndication. So, I remembered a lot. Uh, I remember um, – sometimes I didn't always remember the performers, but I remembered um, sketches that I wanted to see again. And some – like Pigs in Space. I loved Pigs in Space because it was – I'm a, more of a Star Trek fan because that's what i grew up with and it was such a parody of star trek i loved it but i remember jane fonda um i was looking forward to that one because she did the most outlandish skit where she was dressed as basically a version of big bird doing you know tweet 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 that song you know, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. oh my gosh, Robin. yeah, Rock and Robin, right? And and with, with, and the feathers, she's tweeting, and they make her look like she's fine, and the feathers are falling off the costume. I just thought that was a hoot. So I was looking forward to seeing that episode again, and I was hoping it wasn't one that they, you know, they've been cutting some of the uh, musical, a few of the musical performances because they couldn't get the rights. I was just hoping it wasn't that one. And then, um, and then Wally Bogue. Of course, from Disneyland's Golden Horseshoe Review, because he, I, 
he because I just love him as a performer. But also that was the one where it looked like even like the Muppets didn't know what to do with him. Because he was just as outlandish as they were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was, I remember that show. Because, of course, I'd seen him in person, like, dozens and dozens of times at the Golden Horseshoe. And so, uh, I really was looking forward to that one, too. So, those are probably mine. And then, just little skits here and there. Like, I remembered I wanted to see the Joel Grey one, because I remember that just seemed weird to me. Just because, I mean... I. Didn't they do something from um, Cabaret or something in it? I thought that was a little bizarre when I first saw it. And I did rewatch it. I'll tell you what, though. I had – so I had seen that episode, obviously, before, and – but I had never seen Cabaret, so it never clicked. But then during the pandemic, uh, right towards the start of it, I started going through like classic movies that I hadn't seen before. And so we watched Cabaret and then it made, it made a lot more sense why he was a, <laughs> yeah. um, a guest host with it. Like it's like, Oh, okay. That's, that's all clicking now. I knew of Cabaret, but I had not seen it when it came, when I saw that, when I initially saw that. And I thought, what an odd of all the things he's done over the, his career up to that point, and he was pretty early on in his career, uh, I thought, that's a really odd film to use on a family television show. Yeah, <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I think with him, didn't he do the stage version? He did too, and, and that's how I and that's how I knew it. I knew it from yeah. the stage. So um, I didn't know the whole premise of Cabaret. But I just thought that was just an odd one to pull from. I, I mean, I I don't necessarily care for that movie, but uh, this it's a good thing this isn't a a cabaret fan aficionado podcast. So <laughs> I don't have yeah. to worry about it. But anyway, so those are some of the ones, and I, I'm still going through them and thoroughly enjoying it, and just disappointed that Disney just can't get a handle on the Muppets properly. And there's an article that I just read. Is it Frank Oz? Have you seen that? A, a listener actually sent it to me. Um, I don't know. He's just is coming off as very bitter <laughs> towards the Yeah. yeah. Um, he has been for a while, though. And I say this with the utmost respect for him. I think uh, he's his, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. His career is just remarkable from what he has done with uh with puppeteering and the muppets and beyond that becoming a director uh he is he is just a genius mm-hmm. and uh there is there is no way around that at all but uh i you know he for a while on twitter he was very active with with anyone who had questions and he'd constantly be answering questions from from his fans and I I remember seeing where a lot of responses started going from being like positive and let me let me teach you and I can talk about this in more depth to then like more bitter answers. And I don't know if it's just like he's reaching that age where, you know, he's doesn't just want to relive past memories, but then he does and is comes off sounding bitter that uh, that he's not still being invited to that club 
to help out yeah. too. I don't well, blame, I don't know what's going blaming on. Blaming Michael but, Eisner for the death of Jim Henson. That's pretty intense. That's there's yeah. anger. There's anger there. Yeah. Yeah. There there is and uh it's that yeah, that was kind of a, a bummer of an article to read. Like I and I'm I I still enjoyed reading it because I I do have the utmost admiration for him, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I, I wish there they it would all be on better terms. Yeah. And with the Muppets falling under Imagineering right now, I just wish that you know, the Imagineers are at least playing around with them trying to find uh, something that fits, but then once you move move it to something like Imagineering, is that putting it uh, one step further away from from the people who are the performers or past yes. performers like Frank Oz from having access to those characters and what actually gives them a soul instead of just making them another product and another IP and. So I, I worry about that, but I, I have high hopes for the the haunted mansion uh, special. Me for, too. I'm for looking, Halloween. I'm looking forward to that. I'm hoping it's a good fit for them because it, yes. you know it's like Muppet Treasure Island and Muppet Christmas Carol. I'm hoping it's something like that. So I agree. I agree. I just want them to find something that works. It feels like they were on to something with Muppets now. Like that. That feels like they're. They're going in a better direction, but we've talked about it on the show before too. I loved the the ABC Muppet uh, so did show I. that was out for a while. So I I haven't really had a problem with how they've been handled in the projects they're being given. Uh, it's just they're not being utilized enough, and that's more my problem. And they also have to find an audience too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, the, and, you know they can put out great it, shows, but if people aren't watching them, exactly, know. exactly. And like I feel like I do feel that the the ABC show would be a hit if it would have came out today, uh, mm-hmm. versus when it came out. Uh, and when it came out years and years ago, it was still a little too close to the office and uh, binging wasn't really the, you know, it wasn't really all there yet in terms of how you consumed content. So if it would have been released today, I think it would have been a, a little bit more of a different story to it. But, uh, you know, then something like Muppets Now is a lot more kid oriented, too. So that's where you start, you start getting messy, like. I, you need to find that balance where it's it's always matching that same tone. Which one do you want to do, though? Do you want it to be more kid-friendly? Do you want it to be more adult-friendly? It, but it's got to be consistent. You can't go from adult and then the next thing they do is very kid-heavy because then you're just going to be like, okay, all the adults who just got invested in this, yeah, you don't care anymore now yeah. because it's too kiddish. Was Muppets now when they were streaming and it was Scooter with his phone? Yes. I couldn't yeah. get into that one. I tried. I really tried. I just couldn't get into it. So, um, yeah. yeah. I liked it mostly for the uh, the Swedish chef, chef segments. Oh, the cooking, the cooking competition. Fast. Yeah, like I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed those. But Swedish Chef is in my my top three characters, so uh, that makes sense. And then another one of my top three is is Beaker, and so I loved I loved all the science experiments with Beaker and and Bunsen Honeydew. So there was parts of the show I liked, but like the whole Miss Piggy premise that they set up with 
uh, I think Tate Diggs was a part of it. Like I, those parts were always just excruciating to get through. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just should I fast forward? Should I just get past it because it's that bad? But Oh, well yeah, Muppets. <laughs> okay. It's your turn. It is my turn. And uh, this one's a little bit of a, uh, it's a little bit of a, a testy, I don't want to say testy subject. It's a subject that we've brought up before, always get a lot of questions of, but we, we felt like it was time to uh, address it again. And so let's just jump into it. The question came from Caitlin saying, I've been doing extensive research about Walt, and I am loving this journey. Thank you for all the information. I have a question about how a rumor got started regarding Walt. Every time I bring up my research about Walt Disney to someone new, almost always their follow-up comment is, well, you know he hated Jews, right? Which is not true. He made propaganda films to fight World War II, as well as he had jewish people on his staff such as the sherman brothers and we know how much he trusted them and cared for them so do you know how this rumor got started i'm just curious thank you for all you do this is my all-time favorite podcast caitlin you're part of our all-time favorite listeners yes thank you yes this question comes up every time we do a q a and so um yeah the belief that walt disney was anti-semitic is so widespread it's 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 been addressed in pop culture it is it has been spoofed so many times on Family Guy. Uh, you know, it's like, it's all the time. It's been spoofed. And then, of course, the infamous comments made by Meryl Streep. It was at the Academy Awards in 2014. Sort of fueled mm-hmm. it again. But, and and as you mentioned, Caitlin, th- this has been widely disputed by those who work closely with them. Like you said, the Sherman brothers and Marty Sklar, who are Jewish, um, Floyd Norman, Bob Gurr also have disputed this. And it was, and in Walt Disney, The Triumph of the American Imagination, uh, a biography written about Walt and the author Neil Gabler or, uh, states, or Gabler states that of the Jews who worked at Disney, it was hard to find any who thought Walt was an anti-Semite. Now that said, the organization he was a founding member of, the Motion Picture Alliance, al- allegedly had many privately anti-Semitic members. And Walt ultimately quit um, th- th- this organization. But so while there's no proof that Walt himself was anti-Semitic, some argue that he was complicit based on the fact that he was a founding member of the Motion Picture Alliance and members of that were anti-Semitic. So he was complicit based on the company he kept. That's how it got started. There was also a book that I have listed for another question that came up. Um, if I can find it, there was a book, um, Walt Disney Hollywood's Dark Prince by Mark Elliott that was responsible for a lot of the negativity that came out with Walt. It's a book I never ever recommend. Actually, I don't recommend a Neil Gabler book, but, um, th- that one by Mark Elliott was just, is a vicious book. And, um, and, and he promotes that as well. So, um, so that's where it all got started. And like I said, you will find nobody, um, that it's, you know, who said it's true. I mean, Walt was very, 
compassionate towards the people. He was hard to work for, but he was very compassionate. There's even a story, and I, I don't even remember where I read this, where, um, so, you know, during the early years of the studio, 30s and 40s and all that, if you were homosexual, it was against the law, it, you know, to gay bars and all that. Where Well, somebody that worked for Walt was arrested for homosexuality. I don't know. I don't recall the details of it. I'm, I'm assuming he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. So he was in jail for a couple of days. Of course, this got to Roy that got to Walt and he came back to work and Walt just, you know, when it got back to Walt that he had been arrested for this, Walt said, is he okay? You know, is he, is he able to work? Is he doing okay? And, you know, Walt told he was fine and Walt said, okay, good. And that was it. So Walt was not a horrible person. Walt was very sort of forward thinking for a man of his era. So, um, which we try to bring out as we share stories about Walt. And, and we're also, we'll tell stories about Walt that are, you know, sometimes not always flattering, especially his language and stuff like that. Just to show, you know, even Walt said, you know, we've quoted him several times that, you know, there's the, there, there's the Walt Disney that is on screen. And then there's the Disney that drinks and curses and smokes. And Walt was very careful about the image he portrayed. But overall, he was very forward thinking and very open minded for a man that grew up in the early part of the 20th century. So there's that. So very so yes. So hopefully all that we plus more. yeah all that plus more. But hopefully we can just uh, whatever we can do to put to rest. Yes, that would be great. So re-listen to it and then tell <laughs> all your friends and uh, or just share this yeah. with them. Okay, since we were previously talking about uh, Disney Plus. Uh, which Matt asked, which Disney anthology TV series episodes would you like to see added to Disney Plus the most? For example, I'd love for them to add any of the Ludwig von Drake episodes. So is there anything, in Craig, in particular you would like to see them add? I, I mean, that's that was the one that jumped out to to me uh, specifically uh, with Ludwig von Drake. Uh, well, I guess in a bigger realm, um, uh, an adventure in math magic land mm-hmm. and adventure in color. Uh, that, that is like the one thing that I still am shocked that is not on here. Um, I like it's, it was shown for, uh, treasures from the Disney vault. So it clearly, it, it exists, you know, uh, a, a remastered HD version, maybe not remastered, but a good solid HD version of it. It's out there. Um, I still have it on my DVR and watch it uh, through that way since it's not on on Disney Plus right now. But that that to me is like, you know, it's it, kids in the 90s grew up watching it in school because they had the VHS tape. Up yeah. And. Uh, it's it, it there is no reason why it shouldn't be in there but uh specifically though beyond that uh the ones that i would like to see are a lot of the uh a, lo- a lot of the behind the scenes of um 
of the making of some of the movies. So uh, some of the Disneyland episodes they had like that were like Operation Undersea, which looked at uh, the making of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. There was uh, the one for Darby O'Gill, the I Captured the the King of the Leprechauns, and they had one for the making of Third Man on the Mountain. Mm -hmm. And I believe... Pretty much like if there was a Disneyland episode attached to any of the, the classic movies that you could like purchase through iTunes, then you would also get a copy of the Disneyland episode as well. I might be wrong about that, but again, I know there's HD versions of them out there and they were shown on treasures from the Disney vault. Some of them were, uh, not, not all of them, but, uh, it's, I know these, these are out there in their waiting and, like that's it's the best special feature to have with some of these movies. Like you can watch the Disneyland episode on them right after you finish watching the movie and it it fully fully completes the the entire picture. So I'd really like to see those added. Yeah, and I would like to see the ones that, you know, some of them like, you know, the Davy Crockett ones, they've all been put together as films. I'd like for them to release the episodes as they were introduced by Walt. And, and yeah. see how did how were they first viewed in the fifties? The same thing with Zorro. I'd like them to see them how they were first introduced. Well, Zorro was its own standing standalone one. Um, but there's another one, Doctor Sin, alias the Scarecrow, terrific series that was on the anthology series. I'd like to see that. And that came out on the Disney Treasures, but it's. Just so much fun to see them introduced by Walt. He does his little historic introductions, you know, and all that, you know, just, to, and even when some of the classic films came out on, um, on the, uh, on, on the anthology series, they would have Walt preface them with a little historic introduction, like they did for when they split up Mr. Toad and they, and, um, adventure, you know, and Ichabod. And the Headless Horseman, Walt did an introduction for Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman. Um, and so, you know, it would nice, it would be nice to put all of that, you know, for us to see that. Yep. And all that. So I would like that. And then, uh, and then I, I would like to see, um, the Disney family album. It wasn't on the anthology series. It was a Disney Channel series. I would love for them to work out all the issues they have with estates and, put that back on Disney plus. Yeah. That'd be nice. It's on YouTube. Somebody, I guess, recorded them all and they have them on YouTube. So you can watch them, but it would be nice to see them remastered. So, okay. Back to you, Craig. Okay. That was a good question. I'm going to jump into the, uh, books category since you kind of mentioned books a little bit in the, in the last question I asked you, but this one comes from Owen that says, Hello, I've read Walt Disney and American Original, Mark Davis in his own words, and Ride of a Lifetime recently, but I'm super interested in any good book recommendations you may have. Are there any that cover specifically Michael Eisner's time or deep dives into all the parks? Thanks. Um, there's not many books that go into deep dives of all the parks. I'll get into that, but everybody should have Walt Disney and American original by Bob Thomas. It's the only biography on Walt where an author had um, 
the author was an author was able to speak to the Disney family, and uh, none, no, no other biographer was able to do that. And it's not biased. It 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 tells full stories and all that. It was only updated once, and I think I've mentioned this on an earlier show. It was um, after Sharon Disney Lund passed away. It was then added in that she was adopted. Um, it was the wish of Walton Lillian um, that that not be in the book until after Sharon passed, because they really kept that a secret. They did not want her treated any differently than Diane was treated. So, um, anyway. Um, anyway, uh, yes, there are some books about the Michael Eisner's time. First of all, if you want to read an excellent book, now, these might not all be available anymore, but, um, but you, you, you should be able to get them used. Um, if you want to learn about how did Michael Eisner come to be a part of the Walt Disney Company, a must read is Storming the Magic Kingdom. Wall Street, The Raiders, and The Battle for Disney by John Taylor. It tells the story of what happened when the Disney company got into trouble in the 70s and 80s that led to, led to the resignation of Ron Miller and the rise of Michael Eisner in the company. It is absolutely fascinating, this story. Um, and then there's Disney War by James B. Stewart, which is the battle that sort of leads to the downfall of Michael Eisner in there, the internal strife in there by James B. Stewart, Disney War. Excellent. Another excellent book. Um, someday yeah. I'm going to have to write an article for, um, for the Diz on, on, on books I recommend. Of course, it would be a series of articles. Then if you want a couple of books on, on the parks, and um, the Walt Disney Imagineering, a behind-the-dreams look at making the magic real by the Imagineers. Um, really good book on just the creation of the parks, what goes into it, and all of that. So it's a really good overview of, of planning the parks, designing the parks, constructing the parks, and the attractions and things like that. And then probably the best and one of the hardest to find books these days, Designing Disney by John Hench. Um, he, the detail he goes into, it just, you will never look at the parks again the same way. And uh, first of all, the artwork that's in there, but the detail and the thought and the planning that John Hench describes that went into the parks and it goes into the parks today. Um, you won't be able to walk down main street the same way again. You certainly won't run down it to get to your fast pass or whatever lightning lane or whatever it's going to be. Um, y- you, you will stop and, and, and take in what's around you after you read that book. In my opinion, Craig, do you have any that you'd want to add to this list? Uh, you basically named all of my top ones uh, because the things I was going to say, of course, was designing Disney and uh, in Disney War. And, um, you know, I, I think there's other things that we've said before that I, I would still throw out there uh, if if you, you want to look at them. I think that the, the Toshin uh, Disneyland book mm-hmm. is 
absolutely excellent. And, and you can build up yeah. your um, your muscles, your arm muscles and abs at the same time, just lifting it. Yeah. <laughs> and and the price point on it for the quality of the book, the beautiful photos in it, everything is very, very fair. So I absolutely recommend uh, picking that up. And like if you can get a copy of 3D Disneyland that Dave Bossert talked about on our show, I think that's another one of those cool ones. It's not going to uh, give you a lot of um, – it's not going to give you a, like necessarily the most uh, – context on on a lot of the park but it's just a very unique way of seeing these photos uh that is just it, it's so so cool so uh, just just little little things like that i don't have any massive recommendations besides what you already mentioned though okay all righty thank you so so we've uh, given you a reading list there owen so we hope you enjoy it let us know what you think of all these books and anyone else who reads these let us know what you think Go to at Connecting Walk on Twitter and let us know. Okay. So, Craig, do we have time for a couple more questions? Yeah, we have time for at least uh, one or two more. Okay. Let's see. Okay, this I'm I'm going to go into Mousellaneous here. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, oh, here it is. I found it. Joey asked, if you could recreate one Disneyland... Disneyland land or attraction is a livable home. What would it be? And elaborate on the themed features. Yeah, this is a, uh, this is a tough question because there are a lot of, there's a lot of choices, honestly, that could be made. And I, you know, I, I struggled trying to find a single one, but ultimately, um, uh, the thing that jumped out to me, I think a lot of people would think Haunted Mansion, mm-hmm. but uh, the first thing that popped in my head was actually, it was Carousel of Progress, believe it or not. And I think a lot of that has to deal with the fact that you're watching you know, different versions of homes as you're going around, so it's uh, ripe with inspiration. But I also love the idea of each of your major rooms having that different era being represented in in that way, uh, the same way that they have in Carousel of Progress. So you know, but with the kitchen, I'd probably want that uh, the you know the rat race era of the fifties, more that that style of mid century modern and, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And oh, everything and, off know, Maybe green. the bathrooms would be uh, <laughs> a little bit more bathrooms of the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then, oh, you don't um, want a chain don't with a, <laughs> the tank up on the <laughs> ceiling? <laughs> yeah, preferably not. And, you know, have a, have a, a living room maybe based on on like right around the turn of the century have it you know probably not comfortable but at the same time you have a good solid rocking chair and that's all you need from it and uh, so that's that was kind of my my one thought that i had on it but the other one was you know uh, again bringing it back to star wars 
I would love to have a Star Wars themed house, not as my like number one place to live, but uh, <laughs> but at least a place that I could go to every now and then and have like the basement bar, of course, would be very reminiscent of Oga's Cantina or Moss Eisley Cantina and, you know, have have a, a living room that maybe like would would pay homage to like Endor and, you know, Hoth and some of the other planets and, and go at it from that, that perspective. So those are, those are my two okay. that I was thinking about. I have a couple. One I would have to bring back from the past, the Monsanto home of the future. And because I, I remember walking through this, I remember my mother being dazzled by the kitchen and all of that. And I just think again, it was sort of, it, it was, it, you know, this modern how, of course, plastic is the future, or Melmac or whatever it is, melamine, you know, plates and all this kind of stuff. But I just thought it was so kitschy and all of that. And um, I don't know, I, I could see myself living in that, you know, and, and a lot yeah, of light. I, I felt like in. that was too much of an easy answer, though. So that's why I stayed away from oh, it. Okay. So, mine are easy answers, because those are the first things that popped into my mind. And, of course, I did think of the Haunted Mansion as well. For But for a land that I would love – New Orleans Square is my favorite land at Disneyland, because there's just so much there. It has some of my favorite food. It has my favorite music and entertainment. Uh, it has my favorite views. I, 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 will, I will sometimes sit there – Listen to, you know, get beignets, listen to whatever live band is performing out there and just watch what's going on in the rivers of America. And, and I'll, I'll spend a lot of time just doing that. And so I could easily make almost any area there a, a, a livable home. You know, there's, uh, you know, cause supposedly, they designed it where it looks like there are apartments or flats up above. And that's why they have the French balconies there. And if you look on the French balconies, it gives you hints of who's living there based on what's on those balconies. And that's a fun little detail. That if you're strolling around uh, New Orleans Square, look up and try to guess who lives uh, in those apartments, you know, based on you, you'll see a painter there and um you know in one you'll hear and when you go around the back you'll hear a voodoo queen chanting uh you know oh, there's all kinds of stuff so many great details new orleans square i just love it so um so i would i, I would fashion that land so that i could live there and there's great like food it. you got a breakfast lunch and dinner there no problem i'd be as fat as a whole you know <laughs> hog but you could do it you know, oh, I, yeah. I could just hang out there. Yeah. It's got to be about the food, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So let's do one more question. And I, it is my turn to ask. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one comes from Milo and says, in any aspect of the Disney realm, from corporate to movies to theme parks, name one idea or decision that you thought was awful at first, but were pleasantly surprised with the result. Alternatively, name one idea or decision that you loved at first, but were ultimately disappointed with the result. Thank you. Okay. Um, 
I think one idea or decision I thought was awful pleasant, pleasantly surprised at the result. I'm not a big fan of the live action remakes, but when I hated the idea of the 2015 live action remake of Cinderella, because I thought, you know, there are so many things that could go wrong in there. Cause I love the animated film. Um, there, there's just too many things that can go wrong there. It is one of my favorite Disney films. I just mm-hmm. feel they got it right from how they, cause I, cause the, one of the, one of the things you have to be cautious about is for a live action film, they always feel they have to add on to the story. And, um, and what they did add on to the story was wonderful, giving us that backstory of Cinderella and her father, part of which is in the books and in the original story and, um, fairy tale. And, um, I just thought the performances are wonderful, but then I thought, okay, you've got to get the dress right. Oh my gosh, that dress is magnificent. The way in its movement and all that. Then when you hear, learn about how they made it, oh my goodness, it's just amazing. Also weighed a ton, but it is amazing. And that they had multiple dresses for different scenes and all that. The dress for the swing, the dress for running, the dress for the dancing, the dress for entering the ball, you know, you know all that. They were all, they were all different. But, mm-hmm. um, then I thought, okay, the fairy godmother, fairy godmother. Okay. I like the motherly fairy godmother kind of thing. It was Carol's favorite Disney character. So I was, I'm okay with the bumbling, goofy fairy godmother. Um, uh, it's she's grown on me, but um, I just think this is a beautiful film. I love this film. Sometimes when I want to just be cheered up, I will um, I I I will watch this film. It's one of my comfort films. I also like how they brought in um, Lavender Blue, an old song mm-hmm. that Disney's used in a couple of films. I like how they brought it in and sort of redid it for this film as well. So. Um, I one idea or decision I loved at first, but ultimately disappointed with the result. I'm trying to think. Um, I I can't think of something I loved and then I was disappointed with it. So um, there were some that maybe I was intrigued by, like Galaxy's Edge, and I think overall I'm disappointed in it. But I have not seen Rise of the Resistance. I have not gone on that yet. So that might change for me. So um, it will. It will. And I can't. I can't wait for you to be on Rise of the Resistance. Well, you are be on going it, to lose your mind. I'll be on it in a little over a week from then. We're recording this, but yes. um, but uh, I, I think mainly because there was going to be so much more. There was going to be more you know, walk around characters and droids and things like that. And then that all got cut. And, yeah. and then the, the, the cantina, there was going to be a restaurant. The cantina was just the lounge for the restaurant. So I'm disappointed. And it was going to be another attraction um, also. And uh, so there's going to be a third attraction. So I, I think, of, so maybe that comes closest to what I was disappointed with the result. Uh, our Toontown, I was in love with that, but then they did so many cutbacks and they sort of allowed it to disintegrate where 
there's not a lot to do there. Now we're, we're getting Mickey. So I became disappointed with that. Mickey's Runaway Railway, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Rail, Rail, Railway <laughs> is going to bring that back up. But I'm hoping those other attractions, the Chippendale one, the Donald Duck's boat, Goofy's bounce house, I'm hoping they're going to do something with that side of Toontown so that there's actually something to do there yeah. as well in those attractions like there used to be. So yeah. I will say uh, with Galaxy's Edge, the one defense I have on that is that while they did cut a lot of stuff that was supposed to be in there, I feel like at least in Hollywood Studios and at some points in times at Disneyland too, uh, it's a good thing they made some of the cuts to droids walking around and more entertainment and the the, the attraction with, I believe, the Banthas walking around uh, the land. It just – it's – that is the ideas that come about when you're giving – when you're letting creatives have full control who aren't really in tune with what it's like being in a park, especially in the busiest section of – an e-ticket realm of a park. Uh, it's a lot of the stuff they had planned, you know, but minus the sit down restaurant, a lot of the other stuff they had planned, I think was actually ultimately better that they postponed it. I just hope we have a day where that land is not so constantly crowded that some of those elements can get added into it eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's fingers crossed. I, I hope that they're looking at how they can continue expanding upon the success of galaxy's edge i hope so i'm now an idea i loved is avengers campus i have not seen it yet so i'm hoping that's going to live up to my expectations because i do like the marvel films yeah well that's actually funny you bring up the avengers because that when i thought about this question and the in terms of movies or theme parks, one idea or decision that I thought was awful at first, but pleasantly surprised with the result, um, it, it was with an Avengers uh, style. And I know that it's, you know, based on comics, so it's not like an original creation uh, with with Marvel. But I left the theater for Infinity War so disappointed and I remember everyone I was with saw it out in California on opening night at downtown Disney uh, with with a lot of the team. And everyone was like losing their minds over it. And I was just like, I don't know. I I didn't connect to it at all. The The fact that half the people just disintegrate away, just like something about it did not sit well with me i just i did not care for it and i was like yep i don't i don't even care about endgame now i don't they ruined it with this one and then endgame came out and finished what was most definitely just half of a story and really finished it all out and now i love watching both of those movies equally Mm -hmm. once they had the full picture involved but uh, walking out of the theater, I remember we were, st- I think we were staying at the Anaheim hotel, motel, uh, whatever it's called, the place that I really despise. I remember. And so that. we had to walk <laughs> all the way from downtown Disney through 
there and then back out onto, you know, back out off property. And we had a long walk to really break it all down. And I just, I really, uh, I really tore it apart. Um, and, uh, also I was very, very leading up to, uh, the debut of, Pandora, the world of Avatar, I was very harsh in my statements towards it because I have never really enjoyed the movie Avatar. I just, I remember seeing it and saying, this is literally just a gimmick movie for 3D. And there is nothing about it that is original that I really care about. And I don't like most of the characters, just didn't really enjoy it at all. And yeah, I really, I ate my words when came to the day that i finally got to go inside pandora and realize okay they uh they knocked it out of the park with this <laughs> i have to agree with you i was really down and i've i've since rewatched avatar and i it's still not one of my favorite films and i don't know if we're ever going to see the sequels the rate they're being worked on but um <laughs> but i was pleasantly surprised it's it's not my favorite area of animal kingdom but, and I still can't quite figure out why it's there, but I enjoy the attractions. I love the food. That is one of my favorite dining locations in Animal Kingdom. And, um, but I, I do enjoy the attractions there. Yeah. I, and, I, and for me, it's like, I, yeah, I, we can all make fun of, uh, Navi River Journey. That is, that's half an attraction, but Flight of Passage is really good. And as you've mentioned, Satuli's Canteen uh, is, wait, Satuli Canteen. I, I, I really had a moment there where I was like, wait a minute, am I mixing up stuff with Galaxy's Edge and Pandora for a second? But uh, the quick service in Pandora just just fantastic even the little snack treat where you get the pineapple lumpia and you know mm-hmm. the, some of the 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 beers and margaritas like that's that is solid too and while the design aesthetics of the land i'm not thrilled about overall in a lot of places i love the sound design of the entire yes area. i do i get lost in there <laughs> i don't know why it's not that big of a land but somehow i I want to go out a different entrance and always end up back in the same spot again. And so I don't know why that is, especially at night. But um, I don't know if they've changed it since then, because I couldn't see the signs in the dark. And um, Uh, No, there's still some uh, winding areas of it that can be a little bit confusing when it's dark and uh, it's not not super bright out. So I totally get what you're saying with it. But uh, the in terms of ideas or decisions that I loved at first, but ultimately disappointed with the results. Uh, this might not be a, a super popular one, but I think for a lot of people, um, I don't like ultimately what Disney did with Pirates of the Caribbean in terms of the movie franchise. Um, I I love 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 curse of the black pearl so much Mm -hmm. i will never forget seeing it on its opening night at the amc theaters in disney springs in the in the big theater and just having no expectations for it just saying oh well we're at walt disney world and there's this pirates of the caribbean movie that was kind of off our radar but yeah we might as well go see it and then you know fell in love with it like 
the rest of the world did. And, uh, and even I, as much as I love curse of the black pearl, I think dead man's chest is actually still my favorite of the movies. I, I feel like they just like took it to the next level and it's a little bit darker and the scores a little bit better and the characters are already established. So it's that, it's that same familiar feeling as when, when you watch empire strikes back after getting acquainted with the characters in in star Wars, it's able to just pick up a little bit faster. Um, and you know, I sat through at world's end and, uh, and the, the next two movies that followed saying, Hey, yeah, you know what? That wasn't that bad. And, um, at this point though, I think at world's end is completely unwatchable. And <laughs> I hate that. I love dead man's chest so much because they need the two movies need to work together to, to finish that story. And, uh, yeah, so I, in my world, I just, I leave it off as Johnny Depp's nowhere to be found. He just got eaten and he's not coming back, uh, yeah. because the next movie is so terrible. And then I, I don't even remember the name of the fourth one with, with, um, Penelope Cruz and, and whoever else is in Which it. Which is I the just, one where they, it opens up with them hanging children. That, I want to say that's the fifth one. Dead that Men just no turned tales. me off completely. And I, hey, I it, took my children to see it. <laughs> oh, my it God. Might have, it might I don't remember. I don't even remember which one it was with at all. But I... There were I know five that, of those films? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, five now. And wow. four, I've literally only watched... Four, I've only watched twice, I think. Once in theaters, and then once on on blu-ray once i bought it at home and then the fifth one dead men tell no tales like it's it, they got close to the original uh the original uh feel of it and it's definitely more enjoyable than three and four but still didn't didn't retain the magic for me and you know now they're they're gonna go back to pirates of the caribbean but with a new character instead of johnny depp yeah, and jack sparrow swap and swap out now that there'll be a new audio animatronic in there yeah. they'll swap them out I, yeah and i but overall i just i feel like they made a really good movie and then they made a really good second movie but they went into full franchise mode when I don't think there was enough there yeah. to do it. And yeah, the movies made a ton of money, but um, ultimately I think, you know, when, when, in my opinion, three out of the five movies aren't very good at all. That's, that's not a good track record. Unless yeah. you're something like fast and furious where you start to get to the point where it's like, yeah, there, a lot of these are really bad, but that's the kitsch of it all. Just enjoy it and go for the ride. But, um, Following up yeah. on that, though, one idea decision I thought was awful was when I heard in Shanghai Disneyland, their Pirates of the Caribbean attraction was based on the films. And I thought, for your reasons, oh, no. Then I went on that attraction many times. It's incredible. Yeah. So so there they did it right. So uh, Good. I am, yeah, and I will see it one day. Yes. One yeah. day. I know. I know. Before China takes over the parks and throws us out. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. 
All righty. Well, I guess that's it. These are great questions. So thank you, everybody. I wish we could have gotten to all of them, but we would just have like six episodes of nothing but questions if yeah. we were, we just can't do that. So yeah. there's, there were still a lot of good ones left in mm-hmm. here. So if we didn't answer your question this time around, wait for the next, the next round of Q and a and resubmit it. If we didn't mm-hmm. get to it, chances are it's just because we literally, we only have so much time for these. Yeah. Yeah. There weren't any bad ones in here. So no. anyway, but now it's time for me to ask Craig some questions for this week in Disney history. Okay, we are at the week of September 19th. And um, so, Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev arrived in Los Angeles on September 19th, 1959. During his 13-day United States visit, he is supposed to tour Los Angeles housing projects, whilst his wife and children visit Disneyland, an infamous story. Although he wishes to accompany them to Disneyland, he is turned down when... The Los Angeles security, FBI, and all that officials cannot guarantee his safety. As an alternative, the disgruntled premier and his family attend a luncheon at which film studio? I I have no idea. (laughs) Well, it turns out it'll become a part of Disney someday. 20th Century Fox Studios. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Watt was very disappointed. He was all ready to show Nikita Khrushchev his submarine fleet. I bet. I yeah. bet. So. Okay, September 20th. Author Upton Sinclair was born in Baltimore, Maryland on September 20th, 1878. Although he devoted his writing career to documenting and criticizing the social and economic conditions of the early 20th century, his 1936 book was the inspiration for a Walt Disney 1967 musical film. What is the title of both the book and the film? I I remember we talked about this. I don't even think it was in trivia. I I don't think you asked me this one before. I feel like it came up somewhere else. And I remember, I remember it's a goofy name. Mm -hmm. It is. I can't think of it. Not goofy the character though. Yeah. Just bizarre. Yeah. yeah. I always think of this as the offspring of Darby O'Gill and the little people, the gnome mobile. That's it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, okay, September 21st, Walt Disney appeared on a live radio broadcast of the Edgar Bergen Charlie McCarthy show on September 21st, 1947, to promote his newest animated picture. What is the name of this film? 47. Okay. So we're post war. And. I'm I'm struggling with this one. I feel like it's got to be somewhere around either uh, Ichabod and Mr. Toad or right in that um, mm-hmm. fun and fancy free time period. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's one of the two of those. I just. You are correct. Uh, so you have a 50 50 chance here. I'm going to go with. I think. Um, I'm going to go with fun and fancy free. You're absolutely right. 
That's because it featured Edgar Bergen in live action sequences as the narrator of Mickey and the Beanstalk (laughs) segment, which sometimes gets cut out when they, these are just, when it's just released separately. And for our younger folks, Edgar Bergen is an actor and popular radio performer, best known as a ventriloquist, which is interesting having a ventriloquist on a radio show. Yeah. But if you ever see him on a television show, as a ventriloquist, then you will realize, yeah, radio is probably his best medium (laughs) (laughs) because he moved his lips. But he was entertaining. I mean, he was still on when I was a little boy with uh, Edgar Bergen and Mortimer Snurd, and he had a couple of other characters too. Yeah. And all that. So anyway. Okay, September 22nd. Walt Disney's Minnie Mouse short, First Aiders, is released on September 22, 1944. Directed by Charles Nichols, Minnie practices first aid on Pluto to Figaro's delight and amusement. What is noteworthy about Minnie's appearance in this short? I don't know. It is the first cartoon short in which Minnie appears without Mickey, her leading man. It's her solo. I don't think I've watched that one in a long, long time. Yeah, it's one of those World War II entertainment films. Oh, yeah. That's out of my brain right now. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. But it's funny. And and, um, somehow, and of course, Figaro, of course, gets his in the end after seeing Pluto's plight there. Of course. Of course. Okay, September 23rd. The large and small signs are removed from a closed Epcot attraction on September 23rd, 1999. Which attraction was it? I would assume that would be Horizons. That is correct. Horizons. It's the only attraction in Future World to showcase all of Epcot's Future World elements, communication, community, energy, transportation, anatomy, and physiology, along with man's relationship to sea, land, air, and space. It officially opened on October 1st, 1983, as part of Phase 2 of Epcot, and Horizons permanently closed on January 9th, 1999. And we did, we covered this in a couple of episodes a while back on the history of this much-beloved pavilion. All right, September 24th. On Sunday, September 24th, 1961, Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color made its debut in color and on NBC for the series' eighth season on television. Hosted by Walt, the episode consisted of An Adventure in Color, Donald in Math Magic Land, which we talked about earlier, and introduced a brand new character. Who was the character? I'm glad we talked about this question. Uh, Ludwig von Drake. That's right. Professor Ludwig von Drake, voiced by Paul Fries. And this episode is sponsored by RCA, who runs commercials during the show, promoting their new RCA color television. Very good. Well, it's a bit rocky this week, but you did well, Craig. I, I, let's not say I did well, but it was very challenging. So thank you for uh, not taking it easy on me for once. No, there was there are a lot of obscure questions in this one. This was a hard week actually to find to find uh, noteworthy events, shall we say? 
I'm okay with it. <laughs> All right. Well, this is fun. I enjoyed everybody's questions. Thank you again for really submitting some thoughtful questions um, for our two episodes here. And we'll, we'll have another one again in a few months. Craig will put out the call and uh, for more questions. So, you know, one of the reasons we're pre-recording shows is because, um, you know, we have so many things coming up. I'm going to be Walt Disney World twice in September. So that's how we have to pre-record. I'm going to be there for the Dis Family Reunion, which is about a week from when we're recording this show. And then I'll be out again for the 50th anniversary. I'm going out again for Destination D. And, I, and Craig, we were talking before the show. I am going hog wild for this. I am attending Boo Bash. I'm attending the Merriest After Hours event, going to Cirque du Soleil's Drawn to Life. So I'm doing all the tourist stuff when I'm out there because it's been so long since I've been there. I just figure I'm going to have fun and experience all these things. You got to do it. You got to do it when you're traveling in from out of town. It's they kind of they they force your hand to do it, and I'm sure you are going to have the time of your life. I hope so. So I hope that uh, we'll I'll see some of our listeners out there, some of our connecting with Walt family. I, I know some are only going to be out there because you've told me uh, you sent me messages and all that, and so I hope you'll come up and say hello, and um, you know, and all that, and so don't be shy. I always hate it when afterwards people say, oh, I saw you, but I didn't want to disturb you. Um, just please come up and say hello. Now, the way you're connecting with Walt shirts, because you know I'll be wearing mine to a lot of these events and all that. Uh, Craig, as of the day we're recording, McDonald's announced they are releasing a whole bunch of toys for Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary. Are you going to be going to McDonald's every week and picking up your Happy Meal to get this full collection? Uh, the, the, my short answer is absolutely not. <laughs> I, I, I tried to, the last time that whole fiasco happened with the Disney toys and McDonald's, luckily I avoided it from the start. And so I wasn't disappointed then when, you know, I, I walked away with none of the toys from that. And with this one, same thing is going to happen. Would it be cool to have one of Mickey and his little outfit? Probably. That'd be a nice little memento, but uh, I I don't need to I don't need to get involved in that because then it's going to be about collecting all of the characters and then once you start getting the majority of the characters, then the next step is well, yeah, if you already have the majority, you might as well just go for them all. And yeah. I don't need that many happy meals. I And I just don't, you know, I'm at that point in my life, I have to start thinking, okay, do I really need these things? And nope. So. And that's, I'm, I am already there. Every time I bring home any object, whether it's even a t-shirt, let alone a piece of plastic or ceramic, I know I have to have a massive justification to my wife why we needed it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And the answer is always inevitably, we didn't need this. Please start thinking about that when you bring stuff home. <laughs> well, Carol always said, because, you know, I always see art and something that I love and I want to get it. And Carol says, hey, you got to tell me exactly where you're going to hang it. You know, because, you know, there's not a lot of wall space left. <laughs> yeah. And so I thought, okay, that takes care of that. So anyway. Oh, and it was announced today, I heard, or at least I heard it today, 
A Rocketeer sequel is coming to Disney Plus, and it's going to be called The Return of the Rocketeer. And the storyline is a Tuskegee Airman takes on the mantle of the Rocketeer. And that's all I know about this. But I'm excited because I, I, you, but both you and I are fans of the Rocketeer. Yeah. I think ultimately this is good news because it's saying that someone who's working at Disney Plus in development is actually listening to what fans want and mm-hmm. what, what people are looking for. And while I wish they would listen, uh, about, you know, the anthology shows that we mentioned that aren't on there and other classic movies that haven't been on there, like why, why in the world is it gone another year by where we have the Liberty story on there, but you can't put the full length Johnny Tremaine on Disney plus. Yeah. That makes no sense. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot of gaps in the current library, but in terms of new entertainment, I feel like there's someone there that is like, yeah, I think these are routes that we need to explore. And at a time where the Walt Disney company seems disconnected from its fan base more than more than ever really that I've dealt with since I've been really paying attention to this and, you know, had it as part of my job. Um, it's, it's nice to see that there's one part that feels, feels like they're still trying to make their fans happy. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy. I about agree. It. Yeah, I am too. I'm really excited. Now, now we just have to wait for that newsies sequel. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe it can be about like emails or something uh, what's what's the next evolution of the news board yeah uh anyway all right well no then then they all start getting into their uh little uh scooters and they go to home delivery <laughs> uh, perfect perfect yeah. and then yeah. eventually it'll be the milkman yeah that's right Okay, well, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? Speaking of email and all that. Well, you can find me on all the shows I'm on on the Dis Unplugged Podcast Network. You can always find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Teleclaster. And then I am also available via email, craig at wdwinfo.com. What about you, Michael? You can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm michaelbowling dash, connecting with Walt. Instagram, michaelbowlingthediz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at connectingwalt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at disneyplug.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.